Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 139 of the Chills World podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Felicia Taylor E. A little bit about Felicia, a writer, poet, storyteller, performer, and arts educator, along with being a, quote, gently nudging, unquote, wife to her hubby and a fun, quote, trying to stick to a schedule, quote, unquote, mom for her son. She's been (laughs) writing since elementary school, kept a diary or a journal since the fifth grade. Southern Spiced, A Brown Girl's Tale is her first book. It's an autobiographical collection of narrative poetry that shares sections of her life growing up in the 1970s South. And that's going to be one of the main thrusts of our conversation today. How are you? Thanks so much for joining me. I want to, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you for asking me to join and um, you know to be a part of your podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. The, uh, you know, obviously, so much of your writing in this collection is about childhood and how it informs later life. And that's, that's the podcast. The podcast has so much to do with that too. Mm. So I'd love to to talk about that. Like, I mean, you know, we'll get into some of the this poems and the specifics, but growing up, it sounds like Texas was East Texas. Is that safe to say was the main? Yes, it was uh, North, Northeast Texas Northeast uh, down. Texas. Yes. Outside of the Dallas area. So I grew okay. up in a town um, called Denton, Texas. Okay. And if you're, if you're from there, they would say, "Did you just say Denton?" Oh, oh, <laughs> it's I, it's it's Denton, Texas. Ah, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so grew up there too. I grew up in the East Texas area too because my uh, grandparents they um, lived there. That's actually where I was born. Okay, mm-hmm. so I love to know about you know about language and literature. I mean, you know, literature sounds all highfalutin. Like, you know, were you reading? Were you reading uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream at four? Were you reading the normal <laughs> stuff that we read at four? Were you into, you know, Babysitter's Club? Were you into, you know, all of the above? Just wonder what, um, if it was like a print-rich environment, you know, how much maybe oral stories fixed, um, you know, figured into the equation as well. It's interesting. My my grandmother used to tell stories all the time and I continued to tell the stories. I always wondered why she repeated things mm-hmm. over and over and over. But now I understand the importance of doing that, of making sure that you have uh, generational stories passed yeah. down. And that's really the only way when they're not written down. Mm-hmm. You verbally say them, you, you, you know, it's in the past, it's always been um, and a oral preservation of history. So, so yes, um, talking, listening. I loved books, uh, would be in the library when I wasn't supposed to at school mm-hmm. uh, because we never went to the library what? At, from my home. No, I don't. I don't remember going to the library um, at home unless it was with the school. Okay, I was, was going to say, sorry to interrupt <laughs> you. I thought, I thought you were going to say that the school never took it to the library. I'm like, come on, that's the school's job. I understand well, about the house more than the school, you know. What yes, I mean? yes, we okay. were, we were, we were fortunate. I find now that 
there was a library that was just an automatic thing at every school that I grew up in, that there were at least some books, you know, somewhere that you could uh, access. And I come to LA and I've worked as an artist in residence with Mm. at a lot of the schools. And I find that uh, libraries are a privilege. It's, it's not something that every school has. So I hope that we can work on and, you know, helping that, uh, and find a solution so that yeah. everyone has access to books. Totally agreed. In, in my school library, we had Story Hill, mm-hmm. which is, you know, maybe four or five tiered, um, you know, carpeted and, you know, kind of hard if you hit your head on it, but, you know, a great place to sit and watch. It had a little, <laughs> kind of remind me of like Mr. Rogers set up, had a little like puppet, you know, situation if you wanted to. Yes. And, you know, we sit there and read our books. What, what were you reading on your, on your version of Story Hill? I, you know, I remember... I read a lot of Judy Bloom, <laughs> mm. and, and um, we just had a collection, just different collections of stories. And I would just go to um, to the area that we were supposed to, quote unquote, uh, you mm. know, the great levels, you know, the quote unquote, go to and, and read. But I remember reading a lot of Judy Bloom yeah. uh, in elementary. Um, lots of folk tales, loved folk tales. Mm. And um, I read, you know, I read things like um, Alice in Wonderland and, you know, what was the things that were available, you mm. know, for us in our school. Mm. I remember when I first read some poetry, I was just blown away when I uh, first heard Maya Angelou uh, and her works because mm. I'd never, I'd never seen someone that look like me have such a forum to be able to speak and to be able to share their work and the kind of work that she shared. It was like she spoke so much truth mm. and wisdom. And mm. I love that. Um, mm. My grandmother had a book of Langston Hughes uh, poems and I was in love with his poetry. I used to sing his poetry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are different influences yeah in, in the acknowledgments you were you were writing about so, something about the uh the inauguration poem for Maya Angelou that was yes that was, that was Bill Clinton right yes yes on the yes, pulse they're... of the on the pulse of the morning mm-hmm. her, her voice her voice man it was man. it was it was amazing and beautiful and I had um I had a poetry class in in college and I don't know why I this teacher um she just came and brought me a you know a clipping she didn't really say anything mm. she just said i'd like for you to read this and you know know more about my angelou oh, wow. and i knew a little bit about my angelou but just that reading that you know inauguration piece mm. um i was blown away i still have it oh my god uh, it was uh, yes the professor was dr uh-huh. winston and uh, she was at Texas Women's University mm. and she was the poetry teacher there. And she just brought me a clipping and let me keep it. <laughs> so... wow. Thank you, Professor Winston. Wow. Yes. The uh, I, had a, I had a chance to see my Angelou in high school at UC Davis. And yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely, absolutely memorable, unforgettable. I saw her years later in L.A. actually at the Redondo Beach Performing Arts. Wow. Right. And I remember walking in and I'm like, there's a woman in a wheelchair in front of me. It was Della Reese. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, <laughs> I just walked right in with Della Reese and was kind of like pinching myself. Um, and she has one of those voices too. And, and storytelling yes. ability. She, oh, she yes. was amazing too. Oh yeah. 
um, you know, getting into college and, and into those early adult years, what, what were you reading? I mean, did, you know, did poetry kind of set you on a different track? Um, who were some of the writers or, or what was some of the type of writing that really thrilled you? You know, I have such different genres. It's, mm -hmm. it's funny because um, I'm thinking there was a time when I was uh, really into Stephen King. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I was just, I think I was really interested in the fact that he was able to keep your pulse going, mm. you know, with what he was writing, mm. you know, what, what, what he had on the page just, you know, kind of kept you, kept you at the pace of, of what was going on uh, with the, um, you know, also with the, the terror of what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I feel like him as an author and uh, knowing like, you know, the works of, of Maya Angelou and, and Langston Hughes and, you know, um, so many others, it it's kind of like a combination mm -hmm. of when you're writing, you're telling that story but also knowing or understanding that there's a certain kind of a pace or a rhythm uh, that, that needs to be there. And I think, I think I just kind of feel that from, from right. back before, from what I liked and yeah. what I keep reading. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not into like, I mean, I, I'm probably, I know I'm simplifying, oversimplifying Stephen King's work to say like, mm -hmm. Oh, he, he just writes horror. Like, but you know, I, I, what I knew of him was horror. I'm like, yeah, it's not my thing. But we read, I, I want to go find it again. We we read like something simple, like Stephen King on writing or, you know, like how to write. And right. I, I gained so much respect for him. You know, I mean, obviously, for some reason, I was I, I didn't think that maybe horror writers maybe had as much skill or put as much thought, you know, obviously naive, you know, in different genres. And I was like, wow. So I'll never forget that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, him like giving his advice on writing. Yes. Alice Walker. I can't forget Alice mm -hmm. Walker. Okay. I just you know, love her, love her um, writing and just the way that her work flows. Um, just when she's writing about In My Mother's Garden, you know, mm. which is kind of like a, a memoir and, and prose. And okay. um, it, you know, talks about so many different stories and times in her life. It kind of, you know, reminds me of Southern Spice where mm. she's, she's sharing just different um, chapters, different pages from her life and yeah. it's really beautiful if you haven't read it i'm i'm a big fan of alice walker as well you i i remember even lines from her works like uh you probably you, you'd probably put it to everyday use mm -hmm. i don't know if you know the story every everyday use is one of the stories that i've taught in the past and it's just mm -hmm. like short and just like packs it packs a wallet for sure it's it's pieces like that that you like to share because there's there's some that don't know that they have a love of literature <laughs> right yes you know what i mean then you and then you share something like that and they're just like oh whoa maybe i should start you know reading or maybe that kind of piques an interest so exactly. so yes <laughs> yeah I, exactly i always feel like that interest is maybe not 100 percent of the time maybe like 98.7 percent of the time is dormant mm -hmm. right <laughs> meaning meaning 98.7 percent of the people have that somewhere they they do like to read they just don't, haven't found the right author yet or the right right story or right poem right right or you feel you don't have the time huh exactly and of course of course langston hughes i um the piece about him and his brother from world war one mm -hmm. it's called you know i feel you know the the, the awkward titles at least but the colored soldier and okay. it's just about how his father excuse me his brother you know fought overseas yes 
thinking that when I come back, things, mm-hmm. things, things will be normal. Right. We're fighting. And, you know, his, his brother ended up dying over there. And just, I mean, just the, the conversations they have back in, you know, the, the imagined conversations they have. I mean, it's just a, a just a gutting piece, but it's one that I'll you know never forget. And it's just, yeah. Amazing. Along with, of course, you know, the classics, whatever you want to call them. I don't want to be like a Langston Hughes hipster. I don't want to be like, have you read this one? <laughs> <laughs> I've only read his non-popular stuff. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Obviously, you're a creative person. Um you know, I wonder how, like, how everything developed. I mean, tell us about, it. like, what are what are all the slashes? Like, you, you've done acting, you've done, you've, you're a playwright. Tell us about all the slashes. Um, I don't know how to say where, where it began, but I, <laughs> I can say, I can say that um, I've always been a creative um, because I, I was an only child for 10 years. And so I had no choice but to figure Mm. out things to, you know, do um, on my own. So that's why I wrote a lot. And I also did neighborhood shows in my neighbor's garages. And I would cast people. We would we would create (laughs) we would create shows. So this is this is kind of I think it's like kind of continued. And it's just normal for me that, um, you know, I've been writing and acting and on the stage mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, writing and creating the plays and then saying, you know what, where's my book? Where's that book? You know, where, where's the book so that I can put all those things down and write it in poetry form, you know, write it prose and, and share stories and continue doing that. Right. Uh, so it, it was just a, um, I think it was just a, it was just a, like step by step by step by step mm. um, with the storytelling, the writing, and then bringing the characters to life with acting. To me, it all connects. Mm. Um, I know that there's a lot of writers that I know, they're not actors. <laughs> you know? sure, sure. And, you know, they they focus on writing or that's that's the um, the art form mm. uh, that they're in. But also it's so much more um, because when you're focusing on writing, you're still seeing, you're seeing everything like a movie, you know, Mm -hmm. you're creating that. So I think um, with your question, going back to your question, that's how I went to the next step of doing the short film Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I continue to see things in my head, the pictures, the way that we do when we're writing and we're hearing the characters speak and we can't stop, you know, we can't stop writing mm-hmm. uh, because they're still talking to us. And mine just kind of continued and, you know, went off the page and mm-hmm. um, and I created a short film. So that was really great. <laughs> well, so the, the I'll give I'm going to supply the correct answer to my next mm-hmm. question. The correct answer is yes. So mm-hmm. the, are the books, are the books always better than the movie? Ah. <laughs> you know, you yes, know, comma, I... yes, but yes, no, yes, yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> okay. 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 But so like, do you, uh... because you do film, like, mm-hmm. do you, I don't know if trust is a word, but like, do you trust others like with your work? 
it's like mm-hmm. you know the idea of letting kind of like letting it go out into the world i mean there's something about letting your poetry collection letting you, you know any of your work mm-hmm. out into the world when other people see it it gets nerve-wracking i know i guess i guess maybe more what i'm asking is like do you look at how when you watch film mm-hmm. do you are you more like analytical than you are able to like enjoy it like on a visceral level because you do it yourself do you know what i mean I think it depends. And, and the filmmaking is something that I kind of just started on my end of the producing and writing um, the film and then getting it to, you know, a cinematographer Mm -hmm. working and, and, um, you know, following me in story form. When you first ask, you ask, is the, is the book better than the film? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we always say the book is better because you have so much more information you know, in a film, you you have to cut things down to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've got to cut half the book out, all of the information. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a tough, uh, tough one. I'm going to say book because yes. I am a, I'm, you know, a writer and a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and movies also can do, you know, they can, they can give you the, the entertainment form. They can let you see another visual uh, mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of films that uh do justice to you know a work kind of like they speak from you're hoping that they're speaking from uh, the screenwriter or the creator author's Mm -hmm. um, mind and vision and there's a lot of people that will say they just didn't do it right (laughs) oh yeah exactly you can't make everybody happy you can't make everybody happy definitely right (laughs) like i guess kind of related to like what you're reading and just creatively what you're into now whether it's music or film or or tv you know obviously they're great tv programs now Mm. i sound like i'm 100 years old saying tv program (laughs) are you watching your tv (laughs) but just um like i guess the idea of a muse do you do you like seek out muses do you you know you're writing listening to you know beethoven or kendrick lamar or whoever Mm. or you're like oh i'm gonna i want to do a movie like scorsese or you know do you have do you seek out muses or is that just kind of natural or do you feel like you block them out like work on your own individual stuff? Oh, that's a tough question. I, I, I love um, historical fiction mm. and I, I watch a lot of things that have to do with historical fiction. I, I'm a PBS junkie. Right. Um, I just am from, mm-hmm. from, you know, the first piece in the book is about me growing up and, you know, on Sesame street and electric company. Classic. So, um, I just haven't been able to put PBS down, <laughs> but, um, you know, I wish that there was much more and they're, you know, they're wor- working towards it, much more diversity, um, mm. much more um, richness and culture that is being shared in the stories. Uh, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a junkie for PBS. <laughs> so I think the, the feeling of the joy and just memory is what inspires me. So when I'm watching things, the feeling of it, um, the feeling of the the emotion uh, that inspires me to I may have a memory of something, you know, that um, made me just as sad or Mm -hmm. infuriated me just as much. Or Mm -hmm. uh, I think of something that brought me a lot of joy. I may be watching something that's bringing me a lot of joy. And I'm thinking, wow, Mm -hmm. you know, where where's this been? (laughs) And then I'll think of a moment. And I'll begin to jot down just words and and thoughts to be able to come back to continue to complete complete writing what I'm writing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like I I wrote a 
one of my first pieces that I wrote for like a workshop in college was quote unquote fiction, but it was basically, it was based on real life, like for sure, like too much. So, right. And it was about, you know, a, a son and his mother, a son who thinks his mom, you know, hung the moon or whatever they say, like, just like I think my mom hangs the moon. Right. You know, just, you know, I absolutely, my mom is an absolute hero. Aww, and so when, when that piece was what I thought was kind of ripped up in workshop, I, you know, it hit me personally. They were right, by the way, but that's a whole different story. They were mostly, they were, they were right. They were right. My, my, my long-winded question is basically like, you know, you write about your dad, about your mom, they, you have back-to-back poems, like, you know, talking about them very specifically, their characteristics. Mm-hmm. How about writing, you know, I don't, I don't think you, re- you know, you don't trash or rip people in your collection, but like, how about just writing about people who are real? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like any, any nerves or like feelings around that. Um. So are you asking, how does that feel about um, like uh, telling truths about like a piece that I've written or? Yes, I guess it's both. I guess it's both. I guess, you know, I always want to get into the question of like, and you can take plead the fifth or say as much as you want <laughs> about like the speaker as poet or poet as speaker, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how much of it is, is you? And then also, right. yeah, secondly, like just about, does that affect the way you write? You know, they're like, oh man, these this is personal. And whether you're trashing people or not, like this is, you know, maybe this is not my story mm-hmm. to tell. It's it's interesting. Um, everything that's in uh, Southern Spice, A Brown Girl's Tale, is is about my life, so it's true. I knew and it. Then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, the because it's broken into, you know, it's broken into different, um, different, different. Um, I don't want to say chapters, okay. selections, sure. um, because there's the beginning, which is like a certain age um, mm-hmm. where uh, growing up, you know, in in East Texas and experiences that I had in my own town, um, you know, where I talk about the racial identity, you know, finding finding my racial identity through mm-hmm. others, through what others said or or did to me or um or what they felt um, my racial identity meant. Hmm. So those are, those are all stories of um, what I experienced. And then blues of life and love. um, I talk about a couple of people um, like Tim Cole, who uh, was, he was innocent. He was accused of raping someone uh, there in Texas at university. And they found out later that it wasn't true, uh, that it didn't happen. And because of that, now there is, um, there is an amount that's set for anyone who's accused of a crime mm. and, um, you know, doesn't commit the crime. They receive a certain amount of money because of Tim Cole. So there's, there are stories, um, there's stories like that, uh, that, I didn't experience personally, but mm-hmm. I knew about what was going on with, uh, with the person, uh, read about it, you know, and it struck me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just wanted to write about and remind people of the injustices and then how people try to make up for it later. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be so nice if during that time they had just, you know, listened because there was evidence showing that he wasn't there. Okay. Um, but he was just, uh, he was the person who accused him later than tried to fight for his innocence. 
Oh, wow. Because she realized it wasn't him. This isn't mm. the person. So you've got to let him go free. Mm. And he didn't. He he wound up dying in prison. Jeez. So, I mean, reading reading about him, you, of course, I mean, you he had his own personal story. We also feel like he was like a not a stand in, but he was he's so many other right like black men. who So are, many other so yeah. so many other, um, you know, black, brown, um, you know, those those of color and uh, those that have been um, mistreated or persecuted just because of their race, uh, ethnicity, um, yeah. language. You hear about so many, you know, universities or law firms that have like the Innocence Project and stuff like that. Right? Yes. Like, because of yes. cases like Timothy Cole. And, yeah. mm -hmm. Yes. The, so the, nothing like you, comes out of it. But, uh -huh. mm. The book, like you said, has four parts. It's beginning. Piney Woods time is the second. Blues of mm -hmm. life, life, life and love. Third. Yes. And blues of life and love. And then grateful. <laughs> right? The. um you do something really interesting. Not not all of the poems, but some of them. I, I'm not going to put a number on it, but some of them you dedicate. Mm -hmm. Like, and especially at the end. I mean, you'll see that every once in a while, you know, dedicated to. But like many poems, and some are really specific, and some are not. Um, where'd you come up with that idea? It just spoke to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like Freedom Tree. Um, it's that one is about, you know, a runaway slave and people ask, you know, who is this person? Because you've dedicated it, you know, to right. um, to him and for his voice. And it was some that that again, that was something that was whispered to me mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning. It says, um, I got to get up in a tree so I can be free. I got to get up in a tree so they can't see me. I heard this echoing in my head when I was walking one mm -hmm. night. Wow. And I heard something saying, I got to get up in a tree so I can be free. Mm -hmm. I got to get up in a tree so they can't see me. And I went home and just started writing, picked up a pen and just started writing. Wow. So, um, so yes, you know, there's a, um, there's, there's something that, that inspires or something that we hear. Mm -hmm. There's something that, um, you know, that you find out about that just, you know, makes you angry and you must write about it. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, the dedication is, is dedicated to one who needed his story told, who needed his story told. Yeah. Yes. That was def definitely, a, I mean, obviously to, to an understatement to say that was a very moving piece for sure. The, back to the beginning, the first poem is, like you said, about Sesame Street. And it's, yes. You know, it's just <laughs> lasting power. It's called After School Sitters. <laughs> what's the what's the term uh latchkey you know yes latchkey right. it's so so interesting because my mom is like why are you why are you putting i'm like mother are you really upset that i'm telling people that i came home from school by myself? <laughs> <laughs> so many of us so, were right <laughs> right right so so many stories so i mean so many of my friends uh you know, have the same story, but yes, after school sitters, because yes. that's what Ernie and Bert were to no me. Doubt. They well, you were pulled, it. You pulled me in, you pulled us all in right away. You know, you, at, you know, really did a great job writing in a childlike, not childish, but childlike, you know, voice, you, you know, sounding out rug, rug and Zuma, Zuma and all the alliteration or what's the term? What's the term for oh, onomatopoeia, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, quote, you were eagerly, quote, taking sitter's instructions until mom came home from work. 
I mean, yeah, that that what what they said go, went right. What they said, we believed, not in a negative way, but you know they had some right. good things. And then you know, I mean, it's kind of like sums up the the collection as a whole, like juxtaposed with the second poem, which is you know goes from innocent and beautiful and idyllic childhood to um, basically a racist teacher who came down on the speaker because she, well, ostensibly because she was tattletailing or whatever, but it was just right. You know, you wrote something about how forced segregation had been years earlier, mm-hmm. and the 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 poem was called "Stand in the Corner," and it's obviously that image. You know, is is very symbolic and metaphorical. Do you do you have to get into a different space to write fun, yay, innocent, carefree, and and pretty uh, not depressing, yes. but yes, mm-hmm. how yes, does that, yes. How does that come about? Again, um, you know, kind of, kind of thought, kind of what I'm feeling at that time. And I can, I can have a, I can ride in my car and I'm sure everybody has this where you, if you're a writer, you have to get something down, <laughs> like, mm. because you forget it. Everybody yes, thinks yes. that you, that you remember it. I you could don't. write a novel with the things I've forgotten. I, right? I, I like <laughs> an American classic. I'm telling you. But that's, that. it's that that's kind of with with uh, Southern Spice, I began to think of different moments that I felt defined me. Hmm. And I would just write down, I would just jot down uh, the the thought, um, you know, a possible title, and I would just continue from there. And then I went back and continued writing. But mm. I will record on my phone uh, okay. a phrase. Mm. Um, I will I will record a line, something that I can come back to, because we forget. There's I don't know why we always feel like we're going to remember that perfect yeah. line that we had, Not or you know, it just that story. It just mm. goes away. So you have to you have to jot it down somehow. Definitely the the poem. Most of the poems in the first part are are back to the carefree, you know, being able to run outside and imagination. I am Pippi is the name of one poem. I love the twirly, whirly tornado. I mean, you know, even just things like lefty, just words that we would use as kids, very innocent, you know, childlike voice. Um, That one twirly, whirly tornado ends with, uh, you know, it, it start, you know, very carefree, but it gets deep. Uh, layered with the ending lines, you know, just about brown girls who, quote, could fly to and land in a magical place just like Oz. Yes. And ideas of escape even, you know. I mean, even, you know, even kids are like, you know, they want to escape their lives and in fun ways, but also not so fun sometimes, you know. Right. Right. And, right. and gone with the wind and, you know, going to the drive-in, quote, dad's car had style. <laughs> I love that line from maybe grandpa or grandma that money was funny. Yes, my because my aunt always said money is funny. Yes, <laughs> yes, and yes, I I related so much when there was you know, what's the famous line? Uh, tell me the famous line, please, from Gone. With oh me. yes, um, my dear. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> and just when we heard that word, right, like, oh my god, damn! I know. Right? They said damn. <laughs> is that is that a bad word? Is it as bad as other ones? You know, is it? Is it uh, you know, in my in my home. Hmm. Uh, you just didn't children didn't curse we couldn't even I couldn't uh, even say like you're telling a lie oh okay I had to say you're telling a story okay <laughs> yeah it was okay. like ooh. euphemisms euphemisms right yes 
that was pretty, you know, being able to see that and, and to see that at the drive-in, um, I think it was, you know, like they were bringing classics back or something. Uh, uh, yeah. For that month. And I'll never forget gone with the wind. Yeah. Just a, just a great touch with the, the childlike diction, the, one of the lines in another poem was about quote smoke signaled hot cocoa, mm-hmm. like smoke signaled as adjective for the cocoa, mm-hmm. um, and just those like I said, just those words, the lefty and and ideas of uh, you know how we how we would speak and how we think as as kids. I, you know, I said earlier about the one like with for your father and you describe your father as savvy. Mm-hmm. Right. And your mother, um, a biblical name. Is it Esther? Or no? Di- uh, no you know, that's a different there, poem. It's, right? it, Ruth. Ruth. That's Ruth. a different poem. Yes. Um, Esther. Yes. Ruth. Ruth is my mom's name. Mm-hmm. And the biblical name um, is is for her. But you make the point, um, you know, again, with the with the child's eye, with the child's viewpoint, just about doing things together and all the things that you notice about your dad when you're a kid, you notice about your mom when you're a kid. Um, you One of the poems is, as we kind of end part one, is about you, you basically saying, I should get a pass for bravery with the, you know, the ugliness of like your, your hair being touched. Right. But then that's followed up by the poem about your mom. It's like her exquisite styling and taking time with it. Um, did you feel like those were two sides of the same coin, like, or like you needed one to, to counteract the the ugliness? I think for me, I didn't feel, you know, I felt the beauty of my mom, you know, and the expression that she had when she mm-hmm. was doing my hair and I didn't think anything of it. I'm just getting dressed, you know, getting my hair done, getting my clothes on, but then I would go to an area, and this happened to be um, for for Girl Scouts. Mm. Um, I was the only person that looked like me in Girl Scouts. Mm. And and so when we went on a camping trip or another trip, for some reason, the people had never seen anyone black. And they, wow. you know, they all they all came around and they all came. It was just. It was it was really like, I don't want to say, I, I don't even want to go back to an, the author that we were talking about before about the terror, but mm. I feel like, you know, at that moment, there were so many people coming up to me and they were verbally saying, wow, like we've never seen one of these in, people in person, never seen one of them in person. We've only seen them on TV. Mm. And I said, I remember thinking, what you've never seen what, who, and they said uh. a black person, we've never seen a black person. Can we touch your hair? And so there were a lot of girls and they, they earnestly just had seen someone that looked like me on TV and they just wanted to come as a group. This was a whole group and wanted to come and feel my hair. And I was overwhelmed. I bet. I just, I didn't even understand first of them saying that they'd never seen a black person before, because I definitely had seen black people in my own home and, Um, you know, there were others at school, so it was just something, um, something really, really different and something that began to make my mind think about who I was, Mm. um, why, why was I being, um, treated differently or seen 
differently. And for someone to have that much interest, it was like I was someone or something in a cage mm. where people were surrounding me and just putting their hands all over my head until our Girl Scout troop leader, you know, said, you know, that was enough. She kind of pulled us away because it just mm. got overwhelming. And we were trying to answer questions and it just, it just, you know, it just wasn't enough at that time. And I was, I was in elementary school, you know, like about eight years old. Mm. Uh, so that was a bit overwhelming mm. for me. And I won't forget that, but I also won't forget, you know, that um, attached with that, attached with the outside feeling a certain way, there was a love and um, an entanglement, as we say, with being mm. able to do my hair, because, you know, as you see in the mirror test, no one could do it right. Mm. But my mom, my aunt mm -hmm. couldn't, couldn't, uh, you know, comb it right. My uncle had it like all over my head, like Pippi Longstockings. <laughs> he hates that I say that. He has to know that I'd say that in love. <laughs> and, um, you know, my dad, I don't think he ever attempted to comb my hair. Um, and, you know, my mom was the only one that could do it perfectly. So to me, when everyone wanted to, to touch my hair, I, you know, I didn't understand because I thought my hair had been done perfectly by my mom. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the power of the poem, the power of the collection is that, you know, there's the, there's the the I keep using the word visceral, but there's the visceral from when you're a kid, what you're feeling, what's happening. And then you're able to write about it, you know, with the with the years of experience, like, like looking back, you know, as an adult and, you know, make it more of like a like a wider view. Right. Right. And like what that really meant. And you're not you know, you're not didactic in that you're not telling us exactly, but it's, it's very clear from from how it's written about how that was so ugly. And as much as we can, we 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 achieve empathy. It's not 100 percent possible, of course, but. Right. Yeah. But yes, those those two were put together, um, mm. show different sides right. of uh, the existence. Right. As part one ends up, you know, I mean, as part one ends and just throughout the whole book, I mean, you know, you, you advance in age, obviously, and there's more of a, again, a wider view of the world. And, you know, later talking about Timothy Cole and Freedom Tree and like history and histories, miseries and ugliness. But you end part one with I, I guess you really, really did see the KKK in, in the flesh. Yes. Um, my mom and I were, uh, were passing through, we have, we live in a small town mm. and we were passing through that small town and at the convention center, the NAACP, um, they were having just a, a convention and the KKK were standing on this side of the car mm. when we stopped at the stoplight and everything that I have ever been taught or heard or read about the KKK was uh, danger, death, um, you know, definitely not safety. Mm. And I didn't know, I sat in my seat and didn't know what to do because I wanted to lock the door, but I didn't want them to open the door. And mm. I'm telling my mom, we have, I'm screaming at her to lock the door. And she's basically looking straight ahead not paying attention to, you know, this group of KKK members that are standing with signs in their hand saying mm. blacks go home, mm. you know, KKK. And as I'm sitting there 
trying to catch my breath and just the fear of, of not knowing what's about to happen because it was also in the evening time, mm. which in the evening, anything can happen. Yeah, and yeah. people don't, you know, I had a cousin that um, was taken away by men mm. and no, nothing was done about it. Uh, and that was another area in Texas. And um, my great grandfather was taken away by men and never came back. And there was mm. nothing done about it. So I was having a panic and my mother was fine. Mm. She, I mean, she appeared fine. Sure. And it was, the poem is called Echoes in My Spirit because her, her spirit and the way that she handled that, it was like an echo that gave me strength and showed me her strength. And I, you know, realized and was told later, you know, she had marched with Martin Luther King Jr. She had been, you know, at, you know, all of these events and, and known of things that had happened in the fifties and the sixties that were, that were worse than what I, you know, had uh, heard of during the time. Um, And they tried to keep things very innocent in our household. They didn't really want to talk about, you know, things that were happening. Um, I knew about Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, him being assassinated. We had a poster up on the wall. Um, I knew about people like the KKK because they were on TV and you could read about them in books. But to be standing right there next to uh, someone who said that they hated you and that they were known for uh, killing people like you, it was very overwhelming. And my mom was just she was just, she was just straight ahead, Mm. you know, looking straight ahead. I think, um, at the very end, I said, um, today was not a day for them to win. It was a time for the ones that hid behind the white gowns and hats to stand with their signs and be the ones in hiding. Mm. As we drove past them in our car and went on with our night, I saw my mother match eyes with the last of the hoods. And we just drove by because she and, you know, my grandmother and my, you know, great grandmother and grandparents, and they had been through so much and they stood up for more fighting than we would ever, mm. you know, know to, to try and stand up, to try and change things. Right. Um, and she just had a completely different spirit about her uh, mm. that was calm that day and it wasn't filled with fear. So it taught me that there there is a perimeter of difference and hatred and um, danger that is that's there, um, but we still have to keep pushing through to live. Mm. Still have to keep pushing forward, and even though that danger was right next to me, everything was okay. Mm. You know, everything was okay, but you know, what if I just gotten out of the car and, you know, because I was, I was so panicked. Yeah. But she taught me a really great lesson that day. And, and that's another one where you, you said that there's dedication on some of the poems, Mm -hmm. um, that when I dedicate it to her and the strength of women. Well, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, what a tribute to your mom and, and to say all the strong women, the, the part two really gets into like, you know, the peacock example is one of the first poems, you know, the, you know, spreading the wings and such. And, you know, quote, you're peering at a glow of heaven was one of the lines that really stood out to me. All the visits and meals with, with mama. And, and one of the lines is, 
maestras and matriarchs have filled our bellies with food and infused us all with love mm-hmm. right the great the times and the soul train revelry you know waiting for that show to come on doing the moves you yes know, cousins and family love the soul. <laughs> yes yeah and you know the <laughs> grand grandpa is the caretaker and the protector mm-hmm. um you know but yeah just all the like the family history you talked about and the, the family garden had a name and big mama and all the great food and all that. So if you were given it, you know, someone said, all right, here's a 500 bucks to do your best soul train move. What are you, what are you doing? Oh my goodness. My best soul train move. Oh, I have to give you the robot moves. Robot. No, you can't go wrong with that one, right? Nope. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Was, was, Was it soul train on a Sunday or soul train on a Saturday? You know, it's, it's interesting because soul train was on, um, Saturday, but it was soul train Sunday for us because it all, everything, um, it was the end of the week. Mm -hmm. It was when we had to clean and prepare for Sunday. So it was everything, everything was combined with, um, with Sunday and soul train. It was all together for us. So it was kind of like soul train Sunday because all we had was, uh, playing outside in the dirt mm-hmm. <laughs> <didn't have> all... <laughs> mm-hmm. and we at my grandmother's there just wasn't anything you either went to um, do things in the garden or you went to help her hang clothes mm. um, you know when she um, pinned the clothes up outside or you would um, you know look forward to soul train right. and after that it was it was Sunday time everything mm. just switched like after Soul Train, it was Sunday time. We got our clothes ready for church. We had to um, have the meal prepared and set aside. Dessert would be, you know, baking so that it would be ready mm. for the next day. Unless it was bread pudding. Bread okay. pudding was made the morning of. Oh. Um, so, so yes, yes. Soul Train <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> In, you know, it's clear. I mean, you have the great images of the of grandpa as a, as a caretaker, protector, like I said, that family garden and just like, uh, you know, meeting places and, and matriarchs and patriarchs. And, mm. and again, back to that line about infusing us all with love, it's, you know, yes. lit- you know, the, w- whether it's food or just, uh, all those great times together. Mm-hmm. Part three is, um, you know, it gets more, more historical, you know, with, uh, talking about the freedom tree poem and Timothy Cole, who, you quote him, I guess, verbatim. I mean, this is a, you talk about a powerful line. He said, quote, I still believed in justice, possibly with a capital J like that, you know, like the, like the, the, the balance beam of justice or what's the term, you know what I mean? The, right, right. right. I still believed in justice, though it didn't believe in me. Mm-hmm. I won't mess it up by saying anything other than just letting that sit there in, in the air. And isn't that, um, you know, heart wrenching? That's heart wrenching. He exactly. was an honor student and, you know, future law student. Um, mm-hmm. And he was guilty of this crime. He knew that he didn't do it. He, um, but he, there was nothing he could do about it. Mm-hmm. And when he was, you know, when they found that um, maybe he didn't do it and, uh, you know, maybe he was innocent or they mm-hmm. found that he was innocent. Right. It was too late. You know, it was too late at that time. He had an asthma attack and he passed away in, uh, in prison. So, oh man, there's a bronze statue of him at, right. at 
Texas Tech University. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's it's a beautiful statue as a tribute to him, and it's right outside of um you know the 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 building you know the law where building where they study laws to help them remember right. every time you have a client you know every time someone is accused of something mm-hmm. uh, to just remember people like Tim Cole Tim Cole and and others that are like him that we have every day of someone being accused of something and um, someone being put to death. And then you find out later that Mm. they were innocent. So innocent Tim Cole. um, At first they gave him his family 80,000 a year. The state decided to begin to pay uh, if they found the person innocent after um, they were proven, Uh, you know, after they were guilty. And now uh, the families were paid 160,000. Wow if they're found uh, innocent after they have been, after they've said that they're guilty. Like, so, a, like a dollar amount for a person. Huh? It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And um, this was for Tim Cole and, you know, others who are wrongly accused of a crime. Right. The, um, you know, I mean, heart-wrenching in a different way, more personal is, is White Lies Part 1. You reference um, a, quote, sledgehammer pace, unquote, for for grandma, right? Losing, I mean, losing her memory, losing, you know, in a dementia, Alzheimer's type of way. And a, really a regression regression to, to baby, right? To childhood, where the teacher, who formerly your teacher becomes the student, you know, the, the, the role, the you know, the authority figure, the, the adult becomes a child. And I don't know if, I don't know if twist is the right word, but it just really, just the fact that the white lies refers to the grandma covering up was, was so right. powerful to me. I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting that, mm-hmm. you know, just like that the lies, I guess, because of the fact that you don't think that unfortunately she had too much agency in that. But this is the idea that, you know, trying to keep up uh, appearances, if you will, or but, you know, just covering up that she didn't know, who, you know, who you were and all that. And I, you know, I feel for you. I mean, I just uh, I remember when my grandpa, may he rest in peace, when he had a short time where we thought it was going to be dementia or Alzheimer's and forgetting things. And it's just they call it the long goodbye. Right. For a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really. And we have we've had a couple of other family members that um, have suffered from Alzheimer's as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's just, it's terrible to, to see and know of the, just the vibrance and just the love and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, And the person Uh, it's, it's like, they're still there, but they're, they're not. Yeah. And, you know, for her and the title white lies, um, you know, she would just tell, it's like, she wasn't really trying to tell a lie mm. when she'd say right. she knew who you were, but you know, they were just little white lies. And we, yeah. there were things that she would do um, that I, we should have known. She started mm. writing notes on things. So she'd write notes um, like, don't put the trash in here. We thought she was just trying to remind herself. Uh-huh. Don't, don't put the trash in here, you know, push the button to stop light goes up different things that she was trying to remember mm. and we didn't know you know that that was what was going on oh wow 
the um I mean, some of the some of the poems towards the end, because you know, I mean, are all throughout the throughout the collection are they're they're dark and and almost like an absurdist kind of humor, even though like um, I mean, one is kind of about like when I die, you know, here here's here are instructions about how to handle handle the body, and I was really struck by the idea of yes, um, by the idea of like what you learned in the house about you know everything. Um, some of those aphorisms that are escaping me right now, but just like, you know, that the house always looked nice and presentable and you always look nice and yes. presentable. And so, you know, it, I don't know if humor is a word, but it's obviously something very serious, but it's just kind of like a little kind of wink, I guess, at the reader with those. And it, it reminds me of this idea of like, of the, of grandma trying to like keep up appearances, you know, mm-hmm. dignified death. Yes. Right, right. I must have a dignified death. <laughs> right. Did you, uh... I cannot leave here without it <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't know how to you know i mean was that written sober i mean you know what i mean was that, was that, uh... <laughs> it's funny because my um my brother would say that i'm just morbid <laughs> yeah stephen king so, yeah. you know yeah, yeah he's like you know you're morbid sis you know i'm like but we're going to die and yes i i want this is how I want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, why not, why not know how you want it right, to be? Why right, not, why right. not say it? It's not a secret. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people don't want to talk about it. And I know it's hard. Yes. Uh, I know it's, I know it's a very difficult subject, but mm. I guess I've often, you know, thought about, um, I've just often thought about, you know, how, you know, would someone find you? Remember I said, I have all these journals. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't thought about what to do with them. Should I hide them? Should I have someone burn them? You know, all Mm -hmm. these different things um, that, that I think about and, and maybe I am a little bit more of it. Um, But I think it's, it's the, it's the reality of, Mm -hmm. uh, of life. So I, I just know, um, like my mother said, you know, she said, make sure you have unclean underwear <laughs> at all times. Right. <laughs> make sure the house is clean. Um, you know, just all these things that go through my head. Sure. Um, so. <laughs> well, there's there's uh, there's a great duality. I mean, in that poem, I mean, in that poem and all the poems, you know, the the fame, the mal- malapropism from the Sopranos show was uh, the sacred and the propane. But we'll say the sacred and the profane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in, in this collection for sure there's such a duality i mean there's yeah like the the details in that poem could, could be laugh they laugh out loud funny some of them about you know don't let my toenails cut through and <laughs> you know that but it's also obviously something very serious so right right we'd love to to maybe kind of turn t- towards the end of our talk here here um you know whether it's those first two poems or or anything you'd like to read we'd be we'd be honored okay now you have me wondering if I should read the red lips. Oh, well, <laughs> so, so here it is. Here is Southern Spice, the brown girl's tale. <laughs> Whatever you like. Okay. Red lips. I wonder what I'll look like when I'm dead. Will my face be painted red? Will they look at me and say she was a beauty in her day? Then shout for joy for my travel to the saints, or cry with fervor for the loss of my spirit. Will they follow all my orders and set things up as I desired? What will I look like when I'm dead? Will I be thin or swole? In the casket, will I smell? 
will I wear a wig or will I do my hair or will they do it just right? And will I sleep deeply or hear their wails and comments as I float into the sky? Does it matter what I look like to them or me? Death is final, no do-overs for that time. It's just the end where we say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. For those reading along at home, it's page 112. And maybe five people will get my joke, but 112 where the players dwell. <laughs> from the song, from the group. And, uh, but yeah, that's 112. So that, that one comes right after. Uh, no, that's that, that's that's Red Lips. Excuse mm -hmm. me. Yes. Yes. Comes right after Dignified Death. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah, thank you for reading that. I think like with, with what we're talking about, I think it was a perfect, perfect timing for that. Future Projects. Sounds like you can't, what's, what am I trying to say? You can not, not work on things. Like you're always working on something, you know, juggling this project, that project. So what, um, you know, all that, give us the contact info. You sound like my friends and, and you sound uh -oh. like my friends right now. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing, right? Uh, yes. I, you know, um, what's coming up, there's going to be a, a reading of, 1619 and also original pieces at green light books oh, nice. on September the 1st. Um, so you can uh, watch that uh, live and um, what am I working on next? I am uh, working on another book. So All I'm right. working, yes, I'm working on another book and uh, also uh, breaking down a story from Southern Spice uh, to uh, be brought to life. Mm. What when you're talking about the 1690 project? Are you are you um, is that a live like in person performance? It's going to be uh, virtual. Okay. Uh, so it's people. It's going to be uh, writers and authors from different parts of the country, oh. and uh, it will be uh, hosted by uh, Greenlight Books in in Jersey. All right. New York oh, wow. too. Well, that's that's big time, and that's that's Nicole Hannah Jones, right? That's the whole project. Yes, yes, oh yes, nice. yes. So that'll be September first. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm always in 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 awe of people who are just always, always, always creating in different genres. You know, they're not just uh, you know Renaissance men, Renaissance women. So, congrats on all of that. Thanks for uh, you know letting thank us you. get into the lab a little bit, and you know I so much enjoyed <laughs> talking about childhood because I'm so much in agreement with just the podcast in general with how much that informs all you know so much of our work and and our future lives obviously right mm -hmm. it yeah. does and i just wish you great luck and uh you know maybe when the second collection comes out or the uh how do you pronounce that cans the french film festival oh, yes yes Cannes? can yes yes Cannes yes film festival when uh -huh. you when you Cannes win the festival. uh when you win the jury prize or whatever for that and we can talk you know that will be awesome. <laughs> Put that out there. Right. <laughs> like, like I said, thank you so much and uh, you know, continue great luck with everything you do. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And really um, enjoyed, enjoyed your, uh, your, your take and the, the areas that you really like the most out of uh, Southern Spice. So I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. And enjoy Los Angeles when you come. <laughs> I will. I will. And I, I'm, I'm always bad at this. Any con any contact info or social media info you'd like to share? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, 
you can uh, contact me on Instagram at Felicia E underscore writer. Okay. Or um, on Twitter at Felicia Taylor E underscore. Okay. Uh, and I think you can, that's, that's a good gamut right there. You can mm -hmm. contact me and, and I'll respond um, on, on IG. Sounds good. And I'll, you know, as always, I'll put the, I'll put the links to, you know, where to buy the book and um, the social media and contact info on when I put the episode notes. So, so there it is. You're easily reachable. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. And enjoy. I'm trying to think of something to tell you to, to, Oh, you know what? If, have you been to the Broad? No, but I've heard great things. Okay. If, if you have, if you have time, okay. Um, it's just cool and it's free. You know, I'm so amazed yeah. that you go to, you know, different museums. Like I've performed at different museums and they cost and then you go to the Broad and Eli Broad wanted to make sure that it was free. So the only thing is, is you have to get online and make a reservation. That's what I wanted to tell you. Okay. So uh, if you, if you can check it out and right across the street is LACMA. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that LACMA is because you're from, you're from LA. Yeah. And they just made LACMA free. So oh, you, can, it. you can jaunt right over and, um, you know, check out both of the, both of the exhibits that's going on. And if you're lucky, there may be something outside, um, that's going on yes. at the music center. <laughs> oh, wow. Dang. I feel like I might get cultured and stuff. Nice. <laughs> nice. And thank you for saving the embarrassment. I probably would have called it broad. Broad. B-R-O-A-D. Broad. -A -A yes. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he used to be one of the funders for one of our arts programs. So yes, yeah. So he's he was very uh, very fortunate to be able to to do that. Right. Yes. Thank you again so much to <laughs> thank to you, Alicia Taylor. This has been episode one hundred and thirty nine. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Leave a five star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this, and I haven't actually asked Felicia, but I will. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube or not. Watch and subscribe to the Chills at Will Podcast channel. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the podcast is Wind Down. And the other same song played on the episode is Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 140 with Oscar Hokea, who is a regionalist Native American writer of literary fiction interested in capturing intertribal, transnational, and multicultural aspects within two tribally specific communities, Tahlequah and Lawton, Oklahoma. In addition, he is author of the Recently reviewed in the New York Times, recent standout novel, Calling for a Blanket Dance. And that episode will air on August 30th. For now, thanks again for listening. And I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Felicia Taylor E., whose work, like Southern Spiced, A Brown Girl's Tale, gives you chills at will. Mm -hmm.